everyone. Welcome back to Staying Connected. This is Katie, your host, and this is a show where I talk to other people about their stories with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or VEDS, which I also have. Today, I have a very special guest, the co-founder of the Defy Foundation, who's going to tell us her story with VEDS. Hey, Emma. Hey, Katie. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, and I'm really excited to share your story, and we've met quite a few times now and yes it's really awesome that you're that you're doing this so thank you thank you thank you so how long ago were you diagnosed with VEDS I was diagnosed with VEDS let's see almost six years ago now so I was diagnosed in September of 2014 um, it was about a week before my 21st birthday that I got the diagnosis and Fortunately, going into that testing and that diagnosis, I didn't run into a lot of the same obstacles that so many people in our community run into with, you know, fighting for years to get a diagnosis and um, fighting insurance companies or doctors to approve the testing. It was a relatively easy process for me to get diagnosis or diagnosed. Um, but unfortunately, the reason that for that was because I had such a significant family history of VEDS. Um, so we have lost five members of my family to VEDS, including my dad and my brother, who both passed away in 2013, so the year before I was diagnosed. One of my cousins had also been diagnosed by the time that I was tested, so I became number seven in our family um, to be tested and diagnosed, and interestingly enough, the only girl in my family to receive a positive test. But what really sparked um, the need within me to go ahead and get tested at that time, because by then we had known about VEDS for about 10 years, um, so there was plenty of time in between that I could have been tested but within our family you know we weren't um, talking to other families that had VEDS we weren't really under the care of VEDS knowledgeable doctors or geneticists who were telling us how to proceed forward after the first member of my family was diagnosed and so really all we had to go off of over all those years was our family history. And even the geneticists that we had met with had said, you know, even between families, there's a lot of differences in how VEDS manifests itself. So the best way for you to see what your specific prognosis is, is really to look at your family history. And so that's all that we, we really were going off of. Obviously, we were very familiar with how horrible the disease was and what it, it could cause, but we didn't know a lot of detail other than that. And so looking at our family over those years, everything had happened um, really after the age of 40. So my grandfather, my uncles, my dad, they were 40, 42, 48, and 49 when they passed away. And so for us looking at that, we said, okay, we know how terrible this disease is. We know what it's capable, unfortunately, of doing, and we need to take this seriously. But we also have some time. And so for me and my sister and even my brother up until that point kind of 
being late teens, early 20s, it was a concern, obviously, especially because we knew that my dad had tested positive. And so there was a very good chance that we also could test positive. But we felt like we had time and that it wasn't, you know, we all need to get tested right now. And so our parents had sort of left it up to us as far as our comfort level of being tested rather than as soon as my dad was diagnosed, it wasn't, um, you know, all three of us were tested immediately. And so it wasn't really until my brother passed away that I felt the need to be tested because, yeah, we, we thought we had time with the disease. But then when my brother passed away, he was only 25. And so after we kind of got through the process of coping with his loss and with my dad's loss, I started reevaluating um, that idea about getting tested again. And so for me at the age of 20, almost 21 at the time, it really hit me that this disease is not going to wait. It's not going to wait until I'm 40. It's not going to wait until I'm 50. Unfortunately, it doesn't care and it doesn't discriminate and it doesn't, um, it doesn't have a natural course. It really shifted all of our mindsets, I think, in terms of thinking this can happen anytime. That was when I, I decided that it was important for me to know one way or the other whether or not I had it. So it was just about just under a year um, after he passed away that I actually went ahead and, and got the genetic testing done and um, waited the six weeks or so until I got the call from my doctor letting me know that um, it had come back positive for beds. So at that time, when you were 20, 21, mm -hmm. you had known in your family for about 10 years? Yep. That it was yep. there? So what did that feel like growing up, knowing that it was a possibility? So it was hard because our lives even though we knew about VEDS, we didn't really know about VEDS. We lived our lives on a day-to-day -day basis no differently than we did before my dad was diagnosed, before my uncles had passed away and were diagnosed. We, we didn't change anything within our lives. And, and that was something that I so admired, especially about my dad, was that his diagnosis didn't change him at all. And it didn't change how he approached life. And it didn't change his decisions about what he wanted to do. And he just lived. He just lived fully. And anybody that looked at him from the outside would never think that he was dealing with this life-threatening disease sitting on his shoulders. And, you know, what he was going through internally was never once, you know, apparent from the outside. His fears, his, his concerns, it was never apparent. So for me, especially when I was younger, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, I knew that it was a possibility and then I had seen um, what had happened so tragically in my uncles and, but it didn't, it didn't really change our lives too much, which sounds almost bad to say because, it's a horrible disease and it has taken so much from us. Um, but I think we were really 
following the example that my dad set forth in how to cope with it. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, especially growing up, and I think that I was probably just a little bit naive to it, and um, especially just being a teenager and being wrapped up in a million other things. You know, I wasn't Googling VEDS. I wasn't trying to figure out could I have it. It was really... um, it was really not in the forefront of my mind as as nervous as I was knowing that my dad had it and knowing what it was capable of doing. It really, like I said, wasn't until later on and kind of when I got into college and and started, um, especially after my dad and my brother passed away, that it was like hit me, you know, head mm-hmm. on that this is something that I need to think about and it's something that I need to worry about and it's something that needs to be at the forefront. Um, yeah. So how did it feel when you got the diagnosis back? It was completely devastating. I remember uh, getting the call. I got it from my primary care physician. So it wasn't, um, I didn't I got it over the phone. It wasn't in an office. It wasn't with a genetics counselor. It was just with a nurse from my primary care office who called to let me know. And um, I just remember sitting alone in my college apartment and and sobbing. And I couldn't even get words out. And after I got off the phone with the doctor, I immediately called my mom and she heard me crying and she just immediately started crying and neither of us could say anything. And it was just this grief and this devastation. And, you know, there was no, I think because, because I had not, you know, had to fight for a diagnosis or had to spend time um, trying to figure out what was wrong with me or, you know, what could possibly explain symptoms that I were ha- was having. Um, there wasn't the sense of relief that I think a diagnosis can provide to a lot of people of that feeling of finally being able to put a name to what you're feeling and to what you're experiencing, and that can, you know, be a very empowering thing. But for me, since since that wasn't my background um, and that wasn't my history with the disease, the only thing I felt was devastation. And the mm-hmm. only thing that I could think about was how many people had had been lost too soon because of it. And that, you know, now, now what? Now I'm next on the list. And now, you know, the same thing that I saw happen, is that going to happen to me? And that just completely paralyzing fear and... Um, and anxiety. And for your mom too, I imagine, I mean, that's like within a year, it sounds like that she lost her husband, her son, and then her daughter was diagnosed. Yes. That's a lot. A lot. And my mom is the strongest person in the world and and my sister too, for that matter, uh, because she was right there alongside Mm -hmm. of us to lose her dad and her brother. And then same thing to have her sister tested. And, um, you know, they're just so strong and I aspire to be like them and um, in the grace which with, with which they've dealt with it and the way that they have been able to continue to move forward and live their lives in spite of everything that we've been through. And so, yeah, I, 
I don't know how my mom does it, um, but she somehow she's she's quite a strong lady. Yeah, I've met her. She's really wonderful. <laughs> so how have you coped with the diagnosis since you found out? Has there been any anxiety or anything that has come along with it? There has been huge anxiety. Um, and for me, over everything, I think that that anxiety has been the hardest thing to learn how to cope with. Um, and I'm certainly still learning and there are times when I do it well and there are some times that I certainly do not. But that has been a really big challenge over the last few years as I've come to learn more about what it means to live with beds and come to terms with my own diagnosis. And for me, anxiety takes all kinds of forms, but one of the the hardest and most difficult things is when it manifests itself in all kinds of physical symptoms and panic attacks and chest pain and um, headaches, stomach aches, all of these things that for someone living with beds are terrifying to experience because your first thought is immediately that I need to go to the emergency room because this is a life-threatening situation and I need to get this checked out and something is very wrong with me. And there have been times where those symptoms have sent me to the doctor. They've, they've sent me to the emergency room because I'm so scared that, yeah, the chest pain or, you know, if my heart is racing a little bit that I have a dissection, that I have an aneurysm, that there's, you know, I'm bleeding internally and, and something is wrong with me and I, I go to the hospital, get it checked out, comes back as nothing, which... I'm always thankful that it comes back as nothing and it boils down to, you know, we think it was anxiety and that, that can be hard in itself because living with beds, we're already so hyper aware of what we're feeling in our bodies. Um, and for good reason, because we want to be able to know when we need to get something checked out. Mm -hmm. And so there's already this very, um, difficult balance and game of figuring out when do I need to seek help for this and when do I need to stay at home and kind of see how it works itself out and maybe it's just a stomach ache because I ate something funny or you know maybe I have a headache because I'm stressed out or I didn't sleep well last night um, you know maybe I have muscle aches because I worked out and it, it isn't something that needs emergency um, help. And so we're always trying to find that balance of how how do I look at this and when do I need to go and when is a stomach ache more than a stomach ache. And so to have anxiety that then causes symptoms that normally already kind of make you nervous and make mm -hmm. you start to question what you need to do, it just adds this extra layer of now I really don't know what's causing my pain. Is it anxiety? Is it, you know, some physical thing that's going on? Is it VEDS? Um, and so that's been really, really the biggest challenge, I think. And for me, the best way to cope with it, I think, is to recognize that I need to take a step back at times. Um, and as involved as I want to be with VEDS and I want to, you know, 
be in every group and I want to be researching everything that I can and learning everything I, that I can because it makes me feel like I'm taking an active stance against the disease and in a way that is a coping mechanism in itself. Um, but also recognizing that there is a limit to that for me personally um, and that getting too involved or having beds at the forefront of my mind all day every day um, can really escalate my anxiety. And so sometimes just taking a step back and although I can never completely put beds out of my mind, trying to, you know, focus my mind on other things in my life um, just to give myself a little bit of a break and, and make sure that my anxiety stays in check. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good kind of practice of self-awareness is knowing when it's time to take a step back. Yes, which can be hard for sure, but yeah. um, definitely, definitely important. Do you have a go-to that you do instead when you need a break? I do not. Um I think, I think just having my husband and having my family and friends, I think quality time with other people is probably the best thing that really fills me up and keeps me grounded. Um, and yeah, I think I'm fortunate to have so many people in my life who are there for me and you know, if I don't want to talk about vids, then we don't have to talk about vids. And we can talk about a million other things and really help take my mind off of that. Um, that's definitely, definitely a big help. So tell me about your husband. When did you meet him? So I met Justin about a month and a half before I was diagnosed. And I would certainly say that um, there was a reason for the timing of that. And looking back, I see... Um, just how true that was that at the time that I met him, I had really no idea. Um, I hadn't even gone in to be tested yet. So I had no idea what I was facing and up against. I didn't realize just how much I was going to need someone by my side at that time. So I was really nervous to tell him about VEDS and about my family history, about the fact that I was getting diagnosed or getting tested for VEDS and what the possibility of a diagnosis, what that would look like in my life. And I think when I finally sat down and had the conversation with him, I think I used the word baggage because to me that's what it felt like. And it felt like all of these things that weighed so heavily on me and the last thing I wanted to do was to put those heavy things on someone else and to kind of pull them into what I felt like was this big mess. Um, and so I was really scared of how he was going to react and, and nervous that he was going to look at it and say, that's too much for me to take on. And it was the complete opposite. And he could have not been any more supportive than he was. And he was the reason, actually, after I got tested, he came to me and we had started obviously doing a lot more research at that time once I had my positive diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And he came to me and, and we were talking just about how little research was being done and how when you do go to Google and type in beds, you know, there's not a whole lot for you to go off of. And so he came and he, he said, I think that we should 
try to raise some money and put it toward research. And it was not something that I'd ever thought of doing. But he convinced me and we decided to host a 5K in our little college town. And we were completely blown away by the participation and by the funds that we were able to raise in such a short period of time. Um, And it was after that that a family member or a family friend came to us and suggested that we continue the fundraising, but that we apply to become a nonprofit. And we were two college kids who (laughs) knew nothing about running a nonprofit. Um, But we said, okay, let's do it. And we found an accounting professor on our campus who could help us uh, get through the IRS paperwork and figure out how to fill out the nonprofit application. And we went through the whole thing. And a few months later, we had established Defy as an official nonprofit. Um, So that was July of 2015 that we got that news. And we've been going ever since, just trying to continue to to raise funds and really focus on supporting research and making sure that all those brilliant minds that are out there uh, working on behalf of this community have what they need to get us one step closer to a treatment and, and hopefully a cure. That's amazing. It's both amazing what you've done, both of you together. And it's awesome to hear that after a month and a half, he was like all in. Yes, to he this. was. He was. It was very impressive. It was not what I expected, but I'm <laughs> thankful every day for it. So I know a lot of people who are newly diagnosed, especially if they're um, young, young people, they worry about dating. Yes. With this. Yes. Did it change I, your perspective at all on dating or getting married or anything? I know you guys did get married. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it impacted the idea that I did want to date Justin and that I did want to still get married. What I think was harder for me was dealing with the sense of guilt that I felt in in bringing him into my life and as thankful as I was for him and as much as I didn't want to lose him, I also just felt guilty that I was subjecting him to all of this very heavy, difficult um, stuff and all of the fear and all of the anxiety that not only was I was that was I experiencing as a patient, but that he was experiencing as someone who was in my life. And I saw that in my parents um, and, you know, how my mom would worry sometimes when my dad would call because was it a call just to say hello or was it a call to say something's wrong? I need help. I need to go to the emergency room. And the fear and the, the underlying anxiety that goes along with living with someone who has this disease and loving someone who has this disease. And, you know, it, it really is. It's not just patients that are affected by this. It's everybody in their lives who's affected by it. It's everyone who's afraid of getting that call in the middle of the night that they're headed to the emergency room and who has to, you know, be the one to sit with them as they figure out, you know, what's going on and take them to the doctors and 
you know, this and that and the other and the ups and the downs that come along with living with this. And so there was more just, um, I guess that sense of guilt that I, I didn't, I cared about him so much and I didn't want him to have to live with that. And I mean, fortunately he was more than willing to do so. Um, (laughs) and he has told me a million times since, um, but yeah, I think that was hard is, is that feeling of, of what am I pulling some, somebody into and, and nobody wants to go through that. We don't like living with it ourselves. So we certainly don't want the people that we love to have to live with it too. Mm-hmm. Has it impacted your desire to have a family? It has not. Interestingly enough, that was one of the first things that really hit me after I was diagnosed, even though I was only 20 years old at the time and nowhere near being married, being settled down, having a family. Um, one of the things that hit me the hardest after getting that call was realizing that I was not going to have children um, of my own or biological children. And I remember just crying about that and having such a hard time coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be able to do that because it was something that I wanted so much and I just wanted to be a mom. It was a big loss for me to feel like, even though there, you know, we have so much more research now and there's so much more support for women with VEDS who do want to have children and, um, and kind of the care that surrounds them is so much better than it has been in the past. So the success rates are so much higher but for me, I made the decision that it wasn't worth the risk and not just the risk of what could happen during pregnancy and during birth, but also the risk of passing on the gene to that child. And so I made the decision that I still wanted to be a mom and um, I, I was going to do that however I needed to. And if that's adoption or fostering or whatever it may be, that's what I want to do and that's what I plan to do. And before I had ever even brought it up to Justin, he, we were having a conversation one day and he talked about how he had always imagined himself adopting kids. And it just took, it just took this huge weight off my shoulders of, because I think that's hard for, for people and um, for people who are in relationships and, you know, children is a major conversation and do you want kids and how many kids do you want and that's a big factor in in relationships and so um, for us to be on the same page with that was amazing so yes we do hope hope someday that we can foster or adopt um, and still have a family that way that's awesome thank you especially to be on the same page yes I bet that was a huge huge weight I can imagine the weight it was. That was lifted. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm sure you guys will make wonderful parents because I've met both Thank of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're so sweet. Oh, I love you guys. Is there anything that you would want somebody who's newly diagnosed to know? A piece of advice or something you've learned over the last few years? I think the biggest piece of advice that I have is is just to, I guess what I learned from my dad, 
just the idea that a diagnosis does not have to define you. And as scary and terrifying and tragic as this disease is, and as hard as it is to not let that disease determine everything in your life, I think it's so important to try your hardest to continue to live your life in the capacity of normalcy and, you know, what is normal, especially these days, but um, to the extent that you can and to not let this disease make every decision for you. So, you know, if you want to go to grad school, if you want to get married, if you want to have a family, if you want to travel, if you want to, you know, everybody has different hopes and aspirations and dreams and certainly we want to take our diagnosis seriously and we want to uh, be mindful of it and you know not do anything reckless um, but within the capacity that we're able to to continue to have those hopes and aspirations and dreams and to not let the fear of what this disease is capable of doing prevent you from living life and also you know, Justin reminds me of this all the time when I, I start spinning a little bit in my head and he reminds me that none of us is promised tomorrow. It's not just vets, you know, that we have to worry about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. You know, everybody has those fears. Everybody has those concerns, whether they have vets, whether they don't have vets, whether they're perfectly healthy, whether they have you know, another condition, everybody has those same exact fears of what could happen to me and no one is promised a certain amount of time. So I think that is helpful to, to remember as well um, and just to remember that we need to take each day that we are given to live our lives to the fullest capacity and that we are more than VEDS patients and, you know, we have families and we have, you know, careers and we have all of these accomplishments and so many things to look forward to. And so facing the disease as, as scary as it is, um, just to remember who you are and who you were before you received that diagnosis and try to hold on to that person as well and, and all of their hopes and dreams and um, the things that you look forward to. That's great advice. Yeah. And this community really is, I think you said it earlier, it's like the strongest, most loving group of people. It is. It really is. Everyone is just so selfless in how much they care for and love all of these people who they haven't even met, who are all over the world and maybe thousands of miles apart and you may have never met them in person, but they love them. And, and I think that is what's amazing is, is the importance of having people who know exactly what you're going through and who can empathize with every feeling that you have. Um, so yes, the community is huge and, and it's so exciting to see how it has grown just in the last five years um, and to see where, where that will go. I think we're, uh, we're heading towards exciting things. <laughs> For sure, yes. It really feels like that. I so, agree. 
Thank I you agree. so much for sharing your story, Emma. Thank you for letting me chat. <laughs> and of course, we'll continue to chat whenever. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. This was Staying Connected, and this was Emma sharing her story with VEDS. If you want to listen to more episodes, go ahead and hit subscribe. Check out translucent1.blog. That's where all the episodes live. And we'll see you on the last Sunday of every month.